Will you please welcome our guest moderator, news editor of Empire Magazine, and part of the presenting team on BBC's Film 2013, Chris Hewitt. Hello all. Thanks for coming out. Shouldn't you guys be in work? It's okay, I should be in work as well, so it's fine. Uh, with his directorial debut, Shifty, around Creepy marked himself out as a real talent to watch behind the camera, and James McAvoy, Mark Strong, and Peter Mullen are three of our finest actors. So you put them together, you get the explosive cop thriller, Welcome to the Punch. Before we meet them, let's take a look at the trailer. We hadn't been able to get anywhere near Stonewood for years. So when you take him down this time, you take him down hard. He's created a legend for himself. Only lasting thing about Jacob Stonewood would be his prison sentence. Last night, a man was picked up suffering from a gunshot wound to the stomach. He's Jacob Stonewood's son. If he thinks he can walk his son out, he's going to check the angles. Can you just take a step back for a minute? Max is an inch away from piecing all this together. Maybe it's not all about Jacob Stonewood. Stage, Peter Mullen, James McAvoy, Iran Creevy, and Mark Strong. Quite a lineup of talent, it has to be said. Um, Iran, I'm going to start with you. Very, very simply, what is Welcome to the Punch and how did it come about? Uh, Welcome to the Punch, after I made my first film, which was Shifty, was a sort of socio-realistic drama with a very verite style, um, I wanted to make my second film and I wanted to make something that was more commercially accessible. Mm -hmm. And so I had a real love of um, the sort of blood the heroic bloodshed era of John Woo of the late 80s and early 90s, like hard-boiled. And I just met, and I, so I wrote this screenplay, Welcome to the Punch. Mm -hmm. And uh, James, it's, it's got an eye-catching title. Yeah. Is that the first thing that, that caught your eye, the appeal? You, you get the script in your hand, Welcome yeah, to the Punch. Yeah, it is one of those titles that made you go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, and, and it is one of those things that as you're reading it, you're going, you've got to reveal this to me, you've got to reveal this to me. But, you know, that's just a little kind of hook. I think what Eran's done so brilliantly is make a film that is a real piece of entertainment, but at the same time fueled by brilliant character work, you know? 
And can you talk about your character, who you play, this driven cop? I play a guy called Max Lewinsky, who, when you first meet him, uh, thinks he's immortal and thinks that he can do anything. Uh, and then he meets a guy called Mark Strong that teaches him <laughs> that that's not the case and, uh, and inflicts upon him fear and mortality. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, totally, because he's very hard, uh, both in life and in the film. And then uh, three years later... You, re- you see him being a, basically a shadow of his former self and living in fear and a certain amount of post-traumatic stress disorder, I reckon. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and Mark, I've never seen London look as beautiful does in this film. I know that was one of Iran's kind of mission statements for this movie. Was that an attraction for you? That it was, we were going to have a movie that made London look so good and so commercial and beautiful? Yeah, I think we're used to seeing London and gangster movies either, you know, the kind of Guy Ritchie version, the kind yeah. of Cockney Caper thing, or... Um, or the bill, and uh, nobody's ever dialed it up like, like this movie. And Iran, when we first met, said, I wanted to make it sleek, I want to make it look good, I want to make it international, and that's exactly what it's done. It looks incredible. Mm. And you play in this one, Jacob Stonewood? I play Jacob Stonewood, yeah. who's an ex-criminal who comes back to London because his son's in trouble and ends up um, meeting this character, and, uh, and chaos ensues. <laughs> and Peter, as a, as a director yourself, what do you look for in other directors when you're choosing projects? Um, a paycheck for a start. <laughs> <laughs> Always nice to give you a wage. Right? Goes down well. Uh, no, Randy was wonderful. All you want is as an actor, as a kind of grown-up director. Yeah. Someone who's uh, willing to have a laugh, not take it too seriously. But obviously, when you do the work, you take it seriously. Mm. And Randy would very much fitted that kind of mould. He he kept a great atmosphere on set. Mm. Tons of enthusiasm really believed in what he was doing and, and it rubs off it rubs off on the actors and that's all you're ever really looking for here's a clip with uh, peter and mark do you want me to start on row two no no just start with your class son yes boss jesus jake why don't we just let off some fireworks while we're at it? I wouldn't be here if I wasn't a thousand percent, you know that. Come in. Car was run out of the mill. It was perfect. Took a few knocks. We've had worse. So why did you level the house? It became just another place to hide. I'd rather see it burn. If it's any consolation, you're looking good. Grey outdoors. Mm. What's that? Karen says I carry it on. Oh, does she know? Well, you look like Kenny Rogers. Mm. I can shave. You'll still look like a bag of smashed craps. How is he? They've taken him to St. Bart's. And? Apparently, Ruan was involved in some low-level stuff. Mm. Nothing serious. But he started hanging around with a kid called Otis Blake. All mouth, no muscle. Ruan raised the cash, using the family name as leverage. Otis did the deals. And that's where it gets complicated. Four days ago, Otis was found floating in the Thames with a bullet in his head. The next day, they pick up Ruan at City Airport, suffering from a gunshot wound. They know who he is, Jake. They're going to make an example of him. Because of us. 
because of you. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Not top secret after all, then. What's that? Not top secret after all. There is uh, a lot of gunplay in this. Lots of guns. guns. Absolutely. Should've you don't get to handle too, many, too much of the guns, though, do you? What's that? You don't get to handle too many of the guns, do you? No, I just watch the match. I, I watch <laughs> the lads do it. But he does get the dynamic end shot, which there we is, can't yeah. talk about. We can't talk, yeah, can't yeah. talk about yeah. that. But <laughs> again, James and Mark, was that, was that an appeal as well? That, you know, there's a, a British action film of this scale, of this scope, that allows you to, to in, in, invest in that gunplay and, and train. Well, it's very unusual for us to make action thrillers, largely because of the expenditure. I mean, they cost a lot of money, and for somebody to pick them up and spend the money on the advertising and get them out there, out of the country, is really hard. And the Americans usually have a lot more money to play with, so the idea that we were going to make this with the budget that we had and make it look as amazing as that, yeah, I mean, if, if Iran could pull it off, which he has, it was always um, a really good idea. Do you do a lot of training, a lot of gun boot camp stuff? Uh, did a little bit, not too much. I weirdly had the exact same gun that I had and wanted. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read about that the other no, day. It's nice. <laughs> uh, you can't bend bullets in this one, sadly. No, unfortunately. <laughs> so I was, I was very familiar with uh, my non-bendy gun. But um, uh, the best thing for me was yeah, learning how to rag an alpha around and uh, okay. 360 it and tailfish it. And, and I also had Dickie Beer and Ray DeHaan uh, teach me how to do that. But Dickie Beer as Rani uh, took great delight in letting me know, was the original Boba Fett. And right. he taught me how to drive a car very fast. Not only that, I then got to kill him in the film. <laughs> so I've killed Boba Fett, just so you know. Using just you and Han Solo now, that's a, that's a small exclusive club. And uh, Iran, you're a big Star Wars fan, so did you know that about Dickie Bear beforehand? Did you I did, yeah. Like, yeah. So I was looking down these list of stuff that he'd done. I saw that he played with Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi, so I was just like, he's got the job. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Can you talk about your approach to action in this, and did you have to compromise any of your vision because of budgetary constraints? Um, I think it, like, you know, with the same, when we made Shift, we were making a hundred grand film, we were trying to make it look like a million pound film. With this, it was a certain amount of money, and we were trying to make it look like a 20 to 25 million dollar American movie. And um, so there were some certain constraints, but I think sometimes when you work within those constraints, it, it, it pushes you to be a, a better filmmaker to a degree. Yeah. And I think when you see the film, there's a shootout at the Nan's house, which originally was a much bigger action sequence with a chase, and they were running down the street. And we couldn't really afford to have this huge chase sequence down the street with all these cars. So I, we sat down and we said, well, what if the whole thing happens in the contained space of this tight room and we shoot it at 500 frames per second and it's all slow motion, these yeah. beautiful bullets flying around and things exploding. And when you watch the film, often some people watch it and say, it's one of my favourite scenes within the movie. And I think that came from the constraints of the budget, but sometimes I think it helps you to... Mm. Um, to be more creative, you know, when you're given all the money in the world, like maybe it stifles that a little bit, I don't know. Okay. And there's a fantastic cast as well. Andrea Rice presented uh, yeah. James as your partner. Uh, Sarah, can you talk a bit about her character? She's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> uh, Andrea's character is, uh, I feel like when we talked about that character, we talked about, or Andrea talked about somebody who had chosen to work with my character because she felt like a similar age, they both in fast track. Um, he'd been through some bad stuff, but he was probably still quite a dynamic cop in her eyes. Uh, and instead, for a couple of years, she's had a partner who's just been sitting eating toast and being a bit scared to get out of bed, you know? Uh, so there's a big frustration in her character. And the fact that she's got any time for me at all mystifies me. Um, <laughs> but she's great in it. And, and there's a really nice twist early in the film, actually, with her character, which I think is fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. We've got a clip now of the two of you in action. Uh -huh. uh, it's another talkie clip. Let's have a look. Thanks. Oh, no talking, eh? Talkie. Where's the action? <laughs> Can you imagine?
Take it we're not staying here. You are. I'm gonna go track down this security guard, see if he's been squared off by Stonewood. What, you think he shot his own son? No. No, I think he's been planning something. It, don't now he's covering his tracks. Can you just take a step back for a minute? What's that supposed to mean? Meaning maybe it's not all about Jacob Stonewood. What else is it about? Dean warns for a start, and a dead 22-year-old. Yeah, which all lead back to Jacob Stonewood. I've just got to figure out how. You? Right. Not me. Right, you know what? Catching Stonewood is not going to change the past. It right? has to! Well, I'm always going to be that nobody that got shot in a tunnel and let him get away with it. Listen. Don't. Please. Don't. Listen to me. What went down in that tunnel does not make you a nobody. Hey, trust me. Concentrate on now. Because you're too good at your job to waste it. You're still going to have to stay here and cover for me. Didn't anything I just say make sense to you? I understood it, just don't agree with it. I'm coming with you. Sarah, I'm not f***ing asking. You're staying here. Imagine. By the okay. riz. <laughs> We're going to take some questions for you guys now. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left. So put your hands up in the air if you have any questions at all. Right here in the front row. Lots of fans went up. But uh, I'll stick with you. Hi, everyone. Um, this question for James. Um, basically, I don't think you've played too many villains in the past. Is that, some, is that something you'd be looking forward to doing in the future? I think you make pretty good villains. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm playing a bit of a villain at the moment on stage, and it's good fun, killing a lot of people, killing a lot of children and stuff. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's really doing it for me right now. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to bring that to film at some point. <laughs> That'd be cool. Thanks very much. Cheers. <laughs> uh, yes, I stick. Let's stay, let's stay in the front row. Actually, there's a lady here, and then there's a gentleman there, and then maybe. Uh, we'll see. Okay. First, thank you for you guys for making such wonderful movie, and my question is for James. Oh, right. um, how do you deal with uh, deal with the relationship between your characters and other excellent characters? Um, I mean, Mark Stones and James and uh, Michael Fassbender's. Well, uh, I'm slightly lost. Um, <laughs> how do I do? How do I get on with other actors? You mean, like, yeah, uh, yeah uh, the uh, characters' relationship. The characters' relationship. Uh, well, the, the character relationship that we had in oh, this yes, one. Tell us about the character relationship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell us all about the character relationships, James. Uh, thanks very much. Stop being like this. Um, <laughs> don't be that way. Why do you have to be that way? Um, uh, in this film, it was it was it was a lot about sort of opposition and a lot about not really sort of 
communicating. Uh, and then when we do communicate, what we communicate to each other happens to be incredibly profound. I think made more profound by the fact that these are two people who never thought they'd have a conversation together. So it was kind of important. Like You wanted to keep us apart at one point. I touched your knee there, sorry about yeah, that. Sorry, yeah. sorry um, mate. Um, you wanted us to keep us apart at one point, I seem to remember, which you didn't settle on, but I felt like we kind of sort of stayed separate until we needed to come together anyway. And that was, that was quite interesting. That was a nice way. No, I, I said to Mark and James, I said, listen, on set, I'm going to keep you separate and I'm going to lock you away in a room over here, Mark. And James, I'm going to lock you away in a room. And so you wouldn't ever cross paths on set and I want you to hate each other and I want you to just like stare at each other across the room and never communicate. And Mark said, well, I can try acting. I was like, mm, maybe that's better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so when we got there, so he just kind of, I was like, okay, yeah, fair enough. But, um, but I think an interesting process was that the scene where you... We had that we rehearsed it and it was a huge argument and shouting at each other, one another. Yeah. And we rehearsed it and we kind of weren't really finding the scene. And then we decided to strip away all the dialogue, you know, oh, the sequence on the remember, beach, yeah. and we just stripped away all the dialogue and we brought it down to a very minimal kind of interplay between these two characters. And they hardly spoke. And I found that that was a truer thing that we found, yeah. like trying to work on the relationship with the two characters. Sometimes you write the script and you get there on the set on the day and it doesn't work out and you have to sort of kind of ad-lib slightly and yeah. improvise and I think it worked better that we kind of made it more realistic and yeah, yeah. they're yeah. fascinating characters as well because they they're supposedly the good guy and the bad guy either side of the central divide but the fact is that they're, they're both uh, in trouble they both have problems in their lives and they both have to eventually team up to fight a bigger enemy so it's it's intriguing seeing how these two guys operate and um, yeah keeping us apart wasn't ever uh, going to be a likely because you know we had to have a read-through we had to have a rehearsal and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> But it works out pretty well. Excellent. And there's a gentleman here in the uh, front row. Thank you. Hey, guys. Um, it was kind of already answered, but um, what, what steps or processes do you take to get into character before or, or during um, a shoot Peter. To, to any actors? Peter Mullen. Yep. Peter Mullen. Uh, Peter Mullen. Um, Worked with Steven Spielberg. Yes, yes. <laughs> Ken Oach. Um, I don't really, if I'm being honest. Uh, I, th I think the only thing you have to do as an actor is, is put yourself in a different context. Really, ultimately, that's all acting is. You just have to imagine that your life didn't work out the way that your life worked out, but you've got the same IQ, the same emotions, but all of it's been maybe discombobulated with whatever route your character's gone through. And that's all, it, in all truth, that's all it really is. I mean, some characters, I think you have to do an element of research, but I don't think you ever want to box yourself in because when you arrive on set on the day, everything's going to change primarily through how you interact. If you see what I mean, interactions is acting. It's the most important part of acting, is that it makes a scene fluid because you honestly don't know quite what you're going to... You almost know what you're going to say, but you don't know how you're going to feel when you say it. If you work on things too much before you get on set, it becomes rigid and, and immobile. So another actor can't get through those. It becomes, yeah, yeah, yeah. becomes defensive. So the less you know about someone on a film set, the better. And, and it's really up to the director to say, actually, guys, this is going in an interesting direction. Let's... But I think the more actors actually aren't quite sure what they're doing, obviously excluding fight scenes and anything that involves physical danger, the less you know, the more likely a director will enjoy it because they're, they're getting something they hadn't necessarily expected when they, when they wrote it. And like I say, and then, then all roads lead to the director. It's up to, he's got to orchestrate all those slightly different things that are going on. So I, I would honestly recommend that the, I'm not saying don't do any research, but I would recommend don't, don't become so immersed in it that they become uh, feet of clay. 
you, you have to be emotionally light on your feet and intellectually, because that way it's all about you and the ensemble. It's not just about you. As an extension of that, I think it's really important to be open and make yourself quite vulnerable, which totally. is in a way what I think what you're talking about. Like, yeah, totally. You don't know what's happening, so you are very vulnerable, but being kind of cool with that and fearless about totally. that. Totally. The difference between, in my experience, work, whenever you've worked with so-called movie stars, is a lot of them are massively insecure. And, and they, but the thing is, all actors are insecure, but they feel they can't demonstrate that. So they feel, whatever I do, you just go along with this. And that's often what gets them into a real kind of fankle on set and the machine then starts to try and protect them. When, and often, in fact, the best actors I've ever worked with are the most vulnerable ones because they're open to anything, you know. Preparations, yeah. I mean, I'd go along with the guys, basically. I mean, each to their own. Various people have uh, methods that they use to get into character. People do a lot of research. Um, but I, th I, I agree with uh, Peter. I mean, what you do in the instant is often the most fascinating thing. Okay, there's a young lady here in the front row. Hello. Hello. Um, this is to Mark Strong. And because yeah. you've done so many films, what has, what's the film that you've enjoyed most making? That's a very good question. Um, I don't know. I like them all for different reasons because they've been so varied. You know, the science fiction ones are great because they're green screen and they're computer generated. And when you see the film, eventually it looks like nothing when you actually did it. This is the first kind of proper action movie I've done. And it was great fun doing that and running around. And I've played a couple of spies in my time and they're always quite good fun because the plots are usually quite complicated. Um, I like being at home, I like shooting in London, because then I can be with my family. Uh, but then on the other hand, sometimes when you go somewhere exotic, like I did a film in Hawaii once, I couldn't believe my luck. <laughs> so uh, they're all great for different reasons. Let's not leave the three guys out here. Iran, James, Peter, what's your favorite Mark Strong movie? Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's a good answer. It's a good film, it's a good film. Let's just all agree as Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. We've got time for one last question. Right at the uh, back here, there's a gentleman with a red shirt. If you keep your hand up, that'd be grand. Hi. Um, this is a question for Iran and Peter mainly. Um, but congratulations to all of you on an excellent film. Um, in terms of writing and directing a film, something I hope to do in the future, but I'm quite intimidated by the idea. So how do you guys sort of get over your fears and, and um, challenges that, that, come up, that you come up against? And Peter, how does your acting experience inform the decisions you make um, writing and directing? The, 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 I'll, I'll pass over to Rani soon, but in, ter in terms of the acting, uh, it, was, it was really useful to be an actor and, and start directing, particularly when you put yourself in it, only because it's one less actor to worry about. And I don't mean that against actors, I mean, you're so nervous. But I was 33 when I started making the short films, and, I, and I'd been an actor for about five years, but I was really nervous about directing actors, seriously nervous. So the only reason I was in it was I was the cheapest, most available <laughs> actor around, because we shot it in the little flat that I lived in. But, but sometimes, sometimes being an actor really helps, but a lot of people seem to believe that actors will necessarily be good directors, and that's definitely not the case because there's two completely different art forms, I mean, completely different. And all it, the one thing that helped me in terms of directing was as an actor, I, I, I loved actors. I did, you, know, you get some actors who are suspicious of other actors or they want them to play a part the way they would like to play it. And, and, and again, they don't let the actor breathe, they suffocate. 
you know, they, 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 they become poach, you know, poacher come landlord type of thing. Um, but it was, as from an acting, directing point of view, less so than the writing, is it's, it's from where you're coming from about the intimidation, the, the machines and all that can be intimidating, but not half as intimidating as an actor can be asking you a question. You know, when an actor asks you a question, you get nervous and you feel you've always got you have an answer at the ready. And sometimes it's best just to go, keys, I don't know, but we can, we can try and discover it. You know, I remember walking on the set of uh, Train Spotting and poor Danny, we were all stood, all asking questions at the same time. And he just had this glazed look <laughs> on his face because you could see it was just, it was his first day. And he's kind of, <laughs> I don't effing know. I don't, you know, because we're all going, yap, 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 yap. And we're all kind of going, sir, sir, we're really enthusiastic, which is lovely. But when you're the poor sod standing there, and all these actors asking you questions when you don't know, it's really, that's the tricky part. So I would honestly, seriously recommend it. When you come to make your films, never ever, ever feel bad or less of yourself by saying, actually, I don't know, but we're here and we're going to discover it. Because the more you, again, the more you put the fences up, the less you'll enjoy it, I would say. Anyway, Rani, it's up to you, bro. Well, I am, um, because I worked as a, I started off as a runner doing teas and coffees and working as a runner on the film industry. And I worked my way on a lot of American movies made in this country. And I was a blocking assistant to Woody Allen on a, on, on a film called Scoop. And Woody Allen was working over here and I was kind of like a blocking assistant to him. What's and a blocking assistant? Blocking assistant is where you block out the scenes with the actors for him. Sounds like a weird job. It's kind what of it's, it, what the moves are on the set. Like I, you, know, I would work with the actors, and he'd kind of tell us what he wanted to be done, and then the actors would step onto set, like Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson, and we'd tell them what they needed to do, because he doesn't like to necessarily communicate with the actors. He likes to keep it fresh on set. He doesn't like to give them too much thing. But same as what Peter said, I saw Woody Allen, who was like in his late 60s, and he didn't have all the answers. He was winging it. He was like, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and um, I was thinking, Jesus, he's winging it in his late 60s. And I'm like, and that is the kind of, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Like, I, before we made Welcome to the Punch, I was laying in bed the night before with the first night on set at the Greg Amar Hotel. And I was laying in bed and I was like, I'm useless, I shouldn't be doing this job, I'm a fake. They're, they're all going to realise. And I got up in the morning and I looked in the mirror, and I've, it was in the Empire magazine, they sort of, you know, and I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, wash splash my face and a moment of realisation, I just went, showtime. And then, uh, and then my wife went, did you just say showtime into the mirror? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I think the insecurities, we've all got those fears. And I think, but what you need to know is your universe. Know the world in which you're telling your story and going prepared, prepared, prepared. And don't worry about being scared about it because we're all scared before we step on set to direct sure. or do your play like Macbeth. Do you know what I mean? That fear is like what drives you and makes it you better, I think. Well, on that useful advice, as well as, frankly, the worst Woody Allen impression I've ever heard in my entire life. That was all right. Hey, come on, It's time to say, let's say, I'm afraid to us all the time we have. Please, thanks for coming. Thanks for your questions. Thanks, Mr. Paul. Peter Mullen, James McAvoy, Aaron Creevy, and Mark Strong. Thank you very much.